0: Welcome to Freshwater Cleveland's Fresh Faces podcast. Freshwater Cleveland is an online publication focused on the people, places, and projects shaping and transforming our city. This podcast focuses on the first part of that equation, the catalytic talent making change in Cleveland. I'm Jen Jones Donatelli. For our first four episodes, we're featuring the creative, courageous, and resilient Fresh Innovators a group of talented professionals recognized by the Cleveland Leadership Center and Freshwater Cleveland in August 2019. In this series, we'll be shining a light on the work these four Clevelanders are doing to affect change in our community. Today's Fresh Faces guest is Tom Gill. Tom is the fearless leader of Urban Community School, an innovative school serving low-income children on the near west side of Cleveland. He came on board in 2010 as the school's development director and took the helm as president two years ago. Now he's leading an ambitious charge to expand urban community school and serve an even wider sector of the community. Tom was also one of four fresh innovators honored by Freshwater Cleveland and the Cleveland Leadership Center in August. Welcome, Tom.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Jen. Good to be here.
0: So Urban Community School has been around for over 50 years, but this is a pivotal time in your history. There's a lot of sweeping changes taking place right now, many of which will embrace and expand your role as an anchor for the surrounding community, kind of living up to your name of Urban Community School. So what's the driver behind that? And why is right now the right time to broaden your reach?
1: So the direct driver is, uh, you know, we're seeing so many needs come through our doors every day. You know we're in urban education. We don't serve exclusively low-income families, but the vast majority of our families uh, would fit that description. And we're seeing housing challenges, landlord challenges, uh, lead challenges. We're seeing uh, food scarcity and and lack of uh, access to quality food. We're seeing transportation challenges, lack of access to primary care. And historically, the social sector has been siloed and. We have believed as a school for a long time that these things don't fit neatly into various categories, that if we're really about the whole child and we're really about serving the community, we need to be a place um, that sees all of these challenges and puts as many resources in one place as we can. So it's certainly being driven by what we're seeing in our kids and families. At the same time, um, if you think about the philanthropic side, and a lot of this is driven by uh, private philanthropy, the growth... Uh, It's a very attractive project, and we're seeing foundations and private individuals be very interested in our willingness and ability to cooperate with other organizations. Um, The one plus one equals three mentality is starting to really show its effectiveness. And so on the philanthropic side, people are very excited to see the amount of collaboration that we're undertaking.
0: That must be very confusing for the kids when you teach them that one plus one <laughs> equals three.
1: <laughs> it is, yeah. Hopefully, they know that that's an analogy and don't think it's the answer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's it's the idea though still holds for us that we don't want to do healthcare on our own. We can never afford to do healthcare on our own. We're not experts in healthcare. Cleveland Food Bank exists. It's an outstanding organization. Let's let them help us tackle access to high-quality food. Legal aid, already in existence. We're not going to go hire our own attorneys, right? We don't want to duplicate services. We're a school. We're a really good school, we think. But we want to be a great school that also helps families meet all of these other challenges, but to do so in a sustainable way that keeps our school as a school in its lane while cooperating with all these other organizations.
0: So you're talking about health care, food supply. You're alluding to a lot of the changes that are coming down the pike. Let's talk about um, one of the biggest changes, which is that there's an $8 million, 32,000 square foot community clinic helmed by Metro Health, that's set to open next year. So how did this concept come about and why is it such a natural fit for urban community school?
1: So the concept came about as we saw more and more challenges around primary care kids that didn't have regular access to dental, didn't have regular access to a primary care physician, weren't getting well-baby checkups or well-child checkups. We were struggling to get physicals for some kids to play athletics, for example. So we saw a real gap. And we put out an RFP, I don't know, probably about a year ago now, looking for a healthcare partner who would be willing to come onto some land that we owned and work with us to build a clinic and then be a provider right there on site. And from the beginning, we said... First and foremost, we want this to serve our kids and families, but we were open from the start to it being a wider audience that would receive services in the building. And so we put that out, and Metro Health, who actually, you know, frankly, initially we didn't know if they'd be interested because of their size. I mean, we're a pretty small organization compared to or a very small organization compared to Metro Health. But Dr. Boutros and and Jane Platten called and said, you know, we'd really like to explore this uh, if you would consider us and. They responded to the RFP, they made a very, you know, strong case for why they ought to be the partner, and it became clear that it made the most sense to have them um, on site. And so, since that was decided, we've really been working hand-in-hand to build this building, which is, the exterior is pretty much up, um, and it's scheduled to open June 1st.
0: It sounds like it's been very nimble, being that you just put out the RFP a year ago, and now you're getting ready to (laughs) open up next spring, so that's Um, really exciting.
1: Yeah, we have a good team in place. Uh, strong board uh, and hats off to Metro Health. I mean, anyone who's worked with Dr. Boutros and his team knows that they are really thinking outside of the box and they're driving change every day. And so between our, I think, willingness and ability to be effective, even as a relatively small organization, and their ability to really move it forward, it's been a really nice combination. And, you know, June 1st sounds really quick at the same time. You know, I'd love to have it open tomorrow. But yeah, in the grand scheme of things, it's moved pretty quickly.
0: And is it accurate that the clinic will be able to serve 92,000 people per year?
1: Yeah. So we expected, yeah, 90,000 patient visits, 92,000 patient visits right in that realm. It'll have primary care, behavioral health services, and then in... Coordination with our mission and approach, it has all of these wraparound services built into the building. So it's a two-story building. We'll be right at the corner of West Forty-Eighth on the Rain. And in addition to the healthcare services, we'll also be a food bank, pharmacy, legal aid office, United Way Two-One-One. It'll have a full Hispanic translation clinic. About forty percent of our kids are Hispanic, and where we sit touches a significant amount of the Hispanic population uh, in Cleveland. Yeah, so it's a full suite of services. The idea is that they're connected. They talk to one another. And it's not just about medicine. It's really about health, which, as I mentioned, really aligns with our approach as a school.
0: I believe there's a statistic that says only 10 percent of our health actually comes from our medical care. Much of it comes from social determinants of health. So it sounds like this really addresses that.
1: Absolutely. And Metro Health certainly understands that. They're doing a lot in the realm of health. And we have as a school, you know, we've launched a large gardening program helping kids understand where food comes from. If you think in elementary school terms, specials, health, music, phys ed, library, sort of the traditional ones, uh, the fifth one that we have is garden because we really want kids to begin to understand how to take care of themselves and where food comes from. We do uh, a lot of health and wellness activity because it matters so much to their long-term health too.
0: And I know that UCS was named a National Green Ribbon School for environmental practices. So how else do you see that reflected in the curriculum?
1: Yeah, so we own a a home one street over and we put a uh, couple solar panels on that roof a few years ago we're teaching kids about solar. Uh, we did a full transformation in our cafeteria this year. We were using recyclable disposables essentially, but still disposables, revamped the whole cafeteria and kitchen service. And we're including kids in that. We have this environmental warriors. They really drove the project. um, And so we're talking a lot about that. There are signs all over the school about, you know, lights out when you leave the room and all the energy uh, conservation pieces. Uh, As we build these buildings, kids are seeing the architects and the engineers and and listening to the professionals about uh, what's going on and what part of the construction project we're in and why it matters and how they think long term about energy conservation. We're going to have a ton of parking. We're talking to kids about pavers and hopefully eventually the sewer district about, you know, how you build sustainable parking lots that are much more environmentally friendly than they've traditionally been. Big, you know, rain buck barrels all over the place that we catch water to to water the garden. I mean, so many things going on, but it it matters and and we need kids to value the earth and um, we really want to help them understand how important their role as uh, a citizen of the world means and and can mean.
0: And one of the things I love that you said in our Fresh Innovators interview was that with UCS, you're really trying to think out of the box about the school being much more than just a 7.30 to 3 o'clock academic day. And you talked about the holistic approach. So I think it's really evident in everything that you're trying to do.
1: Yeah, thanks. You know, the Ursuline sisters founded the school uh, in 1968, and from day one they talked about thinking of children in terms of academic development, but also social development, emotional development, physical development, and for us, spiritual development. And, you know, we have really clung to that through all of the ups and downs and all of the trends in, in education and urban education. That has really been our guiding light. It's it's founded in the Ursuline charism. And so those are the, really the five components that we think about in our community all the time. And we see the projects that we're currently undertaking as really enhancing that whole child approach.
0: When you were in the planning process, were there other schools or other educational models that you looked to for inspiration?
1: Yeah, so first time this really became a viable uh, idea was in 2010, a, a few of us flew out to Omaha to see a program called Educare. And Educare was started in Omaha with the support of the Buffett and Gates Foundations. The whole approach for them is you first identify the high-quality elementary school, and then you anchor additional services around that school. And we were blown away by it because it's so aligned with our approach. We've since been to visit Harlem Children's Zone um, we followed Say Yes you know, in Buffalo and here in Cleveland. We're so excited about that for the city. It's just such a neat thing. And so it's clearly, from a best practices and policy standpoint, it's picking up. But, but Educare and Harlem Children's Zone were really the first two that inspired us to start to think a bit more broadly about what we could be.
0: And you mentioned say yes to education, and I think that is a huge selling point for families who are considering moving to Cleveland. Um, I know there has been an influx of families back into Cleveland proper. So what are you finding is most important to them in education as you interact with the families at Urban Community School?
1: You know, I still think in a lot of ways families are families and kids are kids, right? We want our kids to be, uh, I mean, I can speak on my own. I have a couple kids now. You know, we want them to be in a safe environment where they're known. We want them to obviously learn and be prepared academically, but we also recognize that our kids aren't robots, and we want them to be humans, and we want them to be good humans and in touch with uh, the world and have values that that help them make decisions. We want them to be in a place where they can make mistakes and not feel like it's the end of the world, where they can really learn from them. We want to be in you know have schools that really think outside of the box in terms of really recognizing our kids for who they are and giving them what they need that's what i think most families want they want to know that there are adults in the building who know their kids care about their kids help them develop um and and really treat them as human beings and give them the respect that they deserve i mean that ultimately i think is is what drives so much decision making and we're lucky i mean look the city in my opinion has just made huge strides in the offerings of schools i mean you look at the portfolio of schools public and non-public and charter in the city i mean it's pretty remarkable and we only go through the 8th grade but we get asked all the time have you ever thought about a high school absolutely not i mean the portfolio of high schools to which our kids have access is just tremendous and so we're really thrilled to be a part of the landscape.
0: And you yourself relocated from Bay Village into Cleveland. So, Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, with a bunch of different places in between. Yeah, so, oh, okay. So I grew up in Bay, uh, went to St. Ignatius, and then went to St. Louis U. From there, I went to El Salvador for a few years, um, and then I lived in Boston and got my master's at the Kennedy School, and then uh, ended up coming back to Cleveland after that. So I'm a diehard Clevelander and and was really excited to get back and, and be closer to home and have just so enjoyed living in the city and and um, raising kids there and being in an urban. You know, I live right down the street from the school, so uh, we just love the urban life and what the neighborhood has. And we're thrilled to be raising our kids with some diversity. You know, I, I had a wonderful childhood. It was not nearly as diverse as our kids' childhoods will be, and. You know, for us as, as parents, for Eric and I, that really matters.
0: How has your experience of Cleveland differed, you know, from when you lived in the suburbs to now when you are engaging in urban living?
1: You think about just how many more different types of people my kids will know by the time they're 10 or 12 or 14 because we live in the city. Because we go to events where all different people from all different backgrounds and all different income levels and races and ethnicities, you know, they'll, they'll know about different religions and different approaches to work and you know all these different things that are just part of living in the city and i think that creates a very fertile uh, ground to raise kids who are global citizens and will think about other people and have empathy and just can go out in the world and engage whoever it is and be comfortable in all different types of social settings which You know, I think when you look at the 21st century workforce and eventually 22nd century workforce, those interactive skills, the ability to collaborate with all different sorts of people, I think are going to be so essential to our workforce and to the economy and and to leading fulfilling lives. So my perspective is that childhood in the city could really, um, you know, help them develop those skills.
0: And in terms of developing new skills, I know that another one of the big changes at UCS is bringing on an urban squash center, which I think is yeah. so cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. tell us a little bit about that and how your students are able to take advantage of that. Yeah.
1: So great organization. There's a national organization called the National Squash Association that was really started in 1994, 1995 in Boston. There was a group of Bostonians who believed strongly in the game of squash. They had played it and they felt that it would be a great mechanism to draw in kids from urban Boston to learn a new sport and to combine it with some academic after-school work. And it's really taken off. So there's 25 chapters uh, nationally and internationally now, and it's been in Cleveland since 2010. Historically, they rented space at Case and CSU. The program was getting up and going, and they were ready to really build a headquarters. So we've had some crossover. We've had our kids in the program for a few years and we've had some shared board members, and so they actually reached out to us and said, "You know, would you consider? We know you own some property on the rain. Would you consider letting us build there if, if we could raise the money to build a building?" And then we worked out a deal where half the spaces in the after-school program would be reserved for urban community school kids, and the other half are for kids from you know all over. And so uh, again, their board got together with our board and and the school leadership and their leadership, and we worked out this deal, and we were just thrilled. From our perspective, it's really high-quality programming. It extends our day. You know, gives kids a great place to go till 6, 6.30 every night. Health and wellness, obviously, they're getting that. It's a very well-structured academic program. They have a great team of, of staff. And so we get access. It doesn't weigh down our balance sheet. We don't have to start another program. And that cooperation and collaboration just goes a long way. And And ultimately... We're just seeing more and more kids benefit through these collaborations, and and that's it's fun to watch.
0: I love that you're attracting a lot of different partners that seem to be aligned with your school's mission.
1: I mean that's the litmus test, right? When you when whenever we start the conversation. So, if you think about the other partners that will fill out the campus, you know, facing history uh, is a justice curriculum in town. So um, we're hoping to grow that partnership. Refugee response. Uh, we're, we have a very close relationship with their. They take care of our grounds and our garden, and we've had a number of refugee children in the school over the years. And so another one of the House of Champions, which is run by the Ursuline Sisters, they keep kids till 8 or 9 every night, kids that don't have anywhere else to go. They get a family meal and some homework help. So there are two homes um, on or near our campus where they are as well. So they're all really mission aligned, and they're all sustainable nonprofits, and I think we're becoming more sustainable because of the collaboration pieces. And that's really what you want. So they're mission-driven, they're kid-oriented, and they're adding high-quality experiences through challenging times for our families in really positive ways.
0: And I know that change isn't always comfortable, right? Like, there's a lot at stake here. Your school is no longer associated with the Catholic diocese, and you are now pursuing new accreditation. So why has it all been worth it, and why do you feel that the school is headed in the right direction? You know, we were
1: made aware that the relationship with Metro Health was going to cause an issue with our access and relationship, and really what it came down to were family planning services that will be in that building. The board, you know, sat with it and I would say discerned over it mightily. Um, it was not an easy decision, and as I've said over and over, there's no joy in this for anybody. The reality is, though, we know our kids and we know our families, and uh, we're very much in tune with who they are and We had this incredible opportunity to really increase our impact in the neighborhood and and on the Near West Side. And that is still most important. It was so mission-aligned to do this. Obviously unfortunate that it had to unfold the way it did, but we respect that as well. I mean, we, we knew the doctrine and we knew that the diocese uh, was going to have to do what it had to do. So there's really no ill will there at all. It just had to happen in order for the project to move forward. And the board with me and and the community wanted it to happen. And so that's where the vote fell. And you know we're, we're moving forward. And, and the Ursuline sisters are still working at the school. There's still an Ursuline sister on the board. And, you know, we haven't lost our faith. We haven't lost our religious education program, which is still there. There's a big statue of Christ welcoming children in the front entryway. You know, all of those values are still in place. It's just the formal relationship had to end.
0: Well, it's really cool to think about the fact that your school just celebrated 50 years and yeah. to think about what the next 50 years might have in store.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And I—and when you're in touch with your mission, I think you, you, and you keep making decisions through the mission. That really enhances your ability to sustain yourself. And I would say of, of you know, going through all of this as the president of the organization has been really just inspiring to see so many people, families, faculty, administrators, board members with an eye on the ball of this is our mission and this is what we do. And that's what's going to drive our future. And I'm just totally convinced that if we keep that in front of us and we keep the focus on the mission front and center, it's just going to be another great 50 years ahead.
0: And outside of all the expansion and all the exciting initiatives that are taking place, I know you just started a new school year. So what are you most excited about, you know, as you launch yet another school year at UCS? Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I'm not on the, on the- detail operational side. I mean, I was thrilled with the changes that we made to our cafeteria, actually, as simple as that sounds. Um, And we built a new play space for our youngest, which is getting a lot of use and is a lot of fun to watch. You know, beyond that, we have some great new faculty uh, and and a new leadership team member who just doing really, really well. So I'm thrilled with that. We just welcomed four new board members this past week. Um, who I think are going to add a lot of value to the organization. And I would just say there's a great positive energy uh, in the building. You know, it is hard work. I mean, we see a lot of different things and and a lot of different challenges in our kids' lives and our families' lives. But to walk into a building every day where you know you're surrounded by uh, staff who, who... want to roll up their sleeves and do the work and, and create a great school and build a strong community, it just never gets old. And it's so easy to get up and go to work every morning because I have 100 colleagues on both sides of me who are like, yeah, let's go, you know, and let's let's keep doing this. So it's just really energizing, I would say. The school has done a pretty good job constantly reflecting and making sure that we're aware of where our challenges are and trying to tackle those. Look, we're an organization. We're a human organization. Like any of them, we're not a perfect place. But there is a sense of we're just going to constantly get better and control what we can control and make sure that we as a school and as an organization are doing the most and the best that we can. And when you keep going through that process, you keep seeing improvement. You can just feel yourself getting stronger and stronger
0: you see a lot of narratives in the news about teachers feeling discouraged and teachers not having resources and teachers leaving the profession. So it's very refreshing to hear about a school that is trying to energize and empower its teachers.
1: Yeah. I always say the most important thing that we do is hire grade faculty. And we have this crop of teacher assistants at Urban who have just made so many significant differences to the quality of the school and to the child's experience. So, yeah, I mean, we, we try to pay as much attention as we can to make sure that our staff feels energized and can take care of themselves and recognizing that it is, it's is—it's a hard job. There are pieces of that that are just always going to be there. But, you know, whatever we can try and do or try and listen, try and respond to. And teachers are amazing. I mean, so much of it is so simple. We, we use a system called Tiny Pulse to collect data because we're just trying to hear from teachers, you know, how to improve their experience day to day. And, uh, I mean, the three things that have come up recently are clearer entrance and extra signs into our parking lots, buying rain slickers for the teachers who have car duty so that they can just take a slicker out of our closet and put it on. You know, they're not asking for a million dollars. They're asking for very practical things that make their jobs a little bit easier at the school and can enhance their day-to-day. And it's it's like yeah, of course we're going to buy rain slickers, right? I mean, of of all the things that we need and all the things that you could do and you still have the humility to just say, you know, this, this is just a really simple thing that would make our day when it's raining a little bit easier, you know, done.
0: Well, to wrap it up, what's one thing that you want Clevelanders to know about urban community school? And how can Clevelanders learn more if they're interested in enrolling their children or getting involved?
1: Yeah, so come take a tour um, is really the number one way to learn more. And we have people touring the school all the time, other educators, people in the neighborhood, people just want to see what we do. So call us anytime and come and take a tour. The one thing that I would I would just hope to get out there is, you know, it's it's amazing to me how many people I meet and they think, oh, yeah, you know, I know Urban Community School. And then they come and and they look at me and they say, I no, I've never been here. <laughs> uh, they may know it by reputation or they may know it from a friend or something like that. But it's such an eye-opening experience to see people come into the school and realize the size and scope of what we do. And so that's what I would, you know, come and see it. That's the number one thing. We're doing some really neat things. I think we have a really good pulse. Again, we're one part of the landscape. I mean, there's over, well over 100 schools in the city. We're one of them. But we think we're really pushing the envelope in terms of knowing our kids and doing what's best for the community.
0: Well, we can't wait to see what unfolds over the next year and beyond. And I just want to thank you for your time today, Tom. Yeah,
1: no, thank you so much, Jen. It's great to be here. My first podcast. Very <laughs> exciting. Uh, I hope to be back and uh, appreciate what you do.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Freshwater Cleveland's Fresh Faces podcast, a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Eloia, plus producer Hannah Leach and audio engineers Dave Douglas and Sean Rule Hoffman. You can get more Freshwater Cleveland by subscribing to our weekly newsletter at freshwatercleveland.com or find us on social media on Facebook and on Twitter at FreshwaterCLE. We'll see you next time.